Hello and welcome to Cooper and Company where politics meets people. This is our first official episode and we are so excited that you have taken the time out of your busy schedule to join us. The mission of this show is to engage, inspire, educate, and entertain. I hope that the conversations I have with today's trailblazers in education, business, politics, international policy, and more inspire you to do more with the resources and the platform that you have. That being said, today's episode is brought to you by Kiana Clothing of California. The company has been such a huge supporter of my career in the arts and in politics. I've worn their dresses for many photo shoots and singing engagements and interviews with dignitaries. You can visit www.kiona.com to check out their amazing styles. By the way, I want to also thank my associate producer, Cindy Lynn, for assisting me in this whole podcast production. So a big shout out to Cindy and thank you, Cindy. Today's guest is Mr. Brandon Cooper, no relation that I know of, the first vice chairman of the Maryland Republican Party. He is the youngest in state party history. Mr. Cooper has worked as staff for the Republican National Committee, two U.S. Senate campaigns in Maryland and Kentucky, and numerous local campaigns across the state. Mr. Cooper has repeatedly been recognized for his contributions to the party, including being the recipient of the Maryland Republicans Party's 2017 Man of the Year Award and the 2013 Young Republican of the Year Award. Outside of politics, Brandon is active in his community, is a co-founder for the Prince George's County chapter of 100 Black Men of America, Inc. I first met Mr. Cooper, when I ran for Congress in 2018, and when I first decided to run, I had no idea where to start. There were just a few people that I uh, reached out to. So I reached out to, to Mr. Cooper. It was just so nice of him to be able to spend some time with me. I think we met for lunch or something, and we were just talking about the campaign and what it means to be a Republican and how my experience has been so far. I thought I was going to feel really insecure about where I was in politics because I was completely new and to run for Congress, but I wasn't made to feel that way at all. People were just happy that I was running. His experience as an African-American Republican and my experience, and he definitely gave me some words of wisdom as I progressed into the world world of politics and running the campaign in 2018, and then again in 2020. There were a lot of people that if you were African-American Republican or if you're Republican in general and you had Democrat friends, basically those friends kind of stopped talking to you. <laughs> so things were just very different back then, and that was only a few years ago. Um, but then there were some people that just stood out, like Mr. Cooper. And then also, um, people thought this was really odd that I decided to arrange this meet and greet with the county executive at the time. But that's because, you know, I wanted to meet him and introduce myself. And he was so supportive. And he was just so happy that a woman of color, African-American woman, was running for Congress and in politics. And so I always appreciate him uh, leading by example of that no matter how many differences that you might have, 
that at the end of the day, it really is about the bigger picture and it's about having representation and it's about getting out there, getting a platform for yourself and others. So I, I always uh, appreciate that. And, you know, Mr. Leggett took the time and he shared about the history of people of color and politics in our county. Um, at the time, I was running in District 8, and I thought that was wonderful. That was the first time I had actually heard of Liz Matori. And so I wanted to have this conversation today with Mr. P Mr. Cooper. In today's climate, it's changed even since 2018. And now in 2020, we have a, a new opportunity to engage people, and especially young people, and especially our minority population, people are hungry to broaden their horizons and not so quick to discard someone just because just because of their political stance. You know, I just feel like it's very different now in 2020, um, and I'm I'm really excited about that opportunity. But you know, for me as an African American woman, it's so weird because sometimes I feel like I have my foot in two different worlds: one African American woman, and then the other one you know, holding on to my Bahamian American heritage and what that means. It's really important that we start to have these conversations. So that is one of the main reasons I wanted to talk to Mr. Cooper. And I thought he'd be such a great guest for our first show. You know, people always ask me about why I'm a Republican or why are Black people Republicans? That's a true story. I cannot make this stuff up. People have actually asked me, you're Black, why are you Republican? Um, so as we put this show together, my associate producer, Cindy Lynn, and I thought about, you know, why not talk about it? It's really important. And the interesting thing also is that Cindy and I have been able to have these, these conversations about race, and, and it's important to ask these questions. Um, you know, I definitely wanted to use this opportunity to talk about that. Why am I Republican? Um, and talk to guests, and especially Mr. Cooper, who has such a commitment to being Republican and representing African-American men and representing African-Americans in politics. I also spoke with another friend of mine from college and her sister, and they were talking to me about why I'm a Republican. And uh, they just thought, you know, this would be a really good idea for you to talk about that because a lot of people might not know and a lot of people might be afraid to ask really, you know? Um, so I thought um, bringing Mr. Cooper on this show and having this conversation, and I also wanna talk about Black Lives Matter, what it means to Republicans. A lot of people have asked that question, you know, just to start getting into this conversation. So thank you so much for joining us, Mr. Cooper. I'm not at all, just saying I'm glad uh, to be here and glad that we met a few years ago in your campaign. I, I get that question often about why you're a Black Republican, so I look forward to discussing that with you. Let's begin our official interview with an easy question. Why are you a Republican? Yeah, so that's a question I get asked, again, like I said, so many times. Um, and all I can say is that I've always gravitated to it. So I always tell people that I'm a first-generation college graduate, but also a first-generation Republican. I uh, grew up in a Democrat household, but I remember my first political thought was back around the 2000 elections. I was only like 12, 13 years old at the time. And I just remember um, sitting at the kitchen table with my grandmother having discussions about politics. And something that George Bush was saying just resonated with me. And I remember getting into uh, passion discussions with her uh, about uh, Bush v. Gore, and obviously she was a lifelong Democrat. Um, but that's just how I've always been. So I just always gravitated towards. And as I've gotten older, 
particularly going to Howard University, um, which is a historically black college. So people typically assume it's a pretty liberal campus, but I'll be honest, I became more um, confident and strong in my Republican principles after going through Howard and learning about the history of this country and the history of this government in particular um, in the role in African-American history. To answer your question at the straightest point of why I'm a Republican, um, three reasons. I believe in individual liberty, uh, limited government, free economy. Um, so those three principles kind of guide everything that I do in politics and policy. And I always tell people, you know, there are good Democrats and there are good Republicans and there are bad Democrats and there are bad Republicans. So I never really go out and tell people to vote Republican. I go them to, go tell them to vote for quality education in the community, or I go to tell them to vote for a limited government in their lives. More so the policy basis and those more times than not tend to lean towards the Republican side. How did you start to become so involved? What does that experience mean to you um, as far as representation? I've always been kind of active and involved in things, student government back in high school and at Howard. When I started, as I said, at Howard to start to embrace um, my political ideology more, I realized that, you know, a lot of my friends say they don't like politics and they don't follow it, but I always have to remind them that even though you may not like politics, politics definitely likes you because <laughs> everything in your life is really controlled by decisions that these lawmakers make. Seeing that politics is such a central part of my life, whether you want it to be or not, and seeing that I wanted things different um, in politics and out of politics, I decided to roll my sleeves up and get involved. And so even at Howard, I became chairman of the College Republicans at Howard. And that's how I met um, a person named Michael Steele. He had just became chairman of the National Party while I was chairman of the College Republicans at Howard. And I gravitated towards him and reached out to him, asked him to come to campus for a town hall. Um, he came out to campus, did a huge town hall. Um, Democrats as well were there. It was really an engaging conversation. Over 200 people were there, 200 college students from the campus. Um, and then afterwards, uh, he offered me a position with the RNC. I interned there for a little bit and worked. And that's kind of where it got started. I got involved in Maryland politics, uh, was chair of the county party in Prince George's County. Um, vice chair of the Maryland Young Republicans for a little bit, and then in 2018 was elected by my peers to be first vice chair of the state party. So um, I've got, been involved for years, but I feel like being involved is the best way to make change and make it a party more like what I want to see. You know what I love uh, about the story you just shared is the fact that people were willing to be a mentor. People were not, you know, they weren't looking at anyone as far as a lack of experience. And how I have been um, guided along the way in both campaigns, 2018 and 2020, and these are both really small campaigns. I mean, I thought people were just going to laugh hysterically at me, but I was so just pleasantly surprised at people who just reached out to me and they were just happy that I was doing it uh, within the Republican Party. I want to ask you about the perception, the public perception that most African-Americans support the Democratic Party. How did that come about? Why is that? And um, what can we do to kind of change that as Republicans? It's perception, but it's also reality. I mean, um, just I'm sure you have numerous Black friends, as I do. And, you know, the majority of them are, are at least they believe and they think that they are a Democrat. And that's kind of to your point, the perception is that they feel like they belong to the Democrat Party. We'll get to talk about why in a second. 
Um, but that perception is really just that. It, it is a perception for them, but they follow it, unfortunately. Perception is reality. Uh, I remember back to one of my days at Howard University during the 2008 election, we did a little experiment where we went around campus with a video camera and we're asking people, um, basically we switched the policies of Barack Obama and John McCain. And so we switched the policies, went around and asked people, hey, so you support Barack Obama. So you support, you know, a strong defense and low taxes and, and you're against universal health care and stuff like, you know, of that nature. And everybody was saying yes. They were like, oh yeah, 100%. And that just showed to me, there were some that were more informed who knew the differences, but it, the vast majority were following more so the label of Democrat and, and Obama versus actually understanding the issue. That is, I think, something that we have to combat. And I say again, when I go out and outreach and try to get people to understand why I'm a black Republican, it's never vote Republican or don't vote Democrat. It's vote your interests and vote the issues. And I think when you look at where the black community is largely on a lot of issues, they naturally align with the Republican party. Particularly for me, again, one of my strongest principles is limit to government. Um, that's not no government. I definitely think we have a role for government in various ways, particularly a federal government when it comes to foreign policy, local government when it comes to police and fire, and the Justice Department for those who break the law. The Black community has always had a, a, a rightful distrust of government or the man. That disconnect where we and the community naturally distrust the government, um, going back to Skeegan experiments and other places, I mean, hundreds of years of government-sanctioned Jim Crow laws, you know, there's a natural distrust that we have for the government, yet when it comes to voting, we put all that away and vote for a party that seeks to have the government intertwined with our lives. And so I think connecting people on those issues when it comes to education, understanding that there's issues with education in our community. I mean, education is a civil rights issue. Uh, I went to law school partly because of my interest in the separate but equal decision that came out, you know, 70 years ago where the Supreme Court ruled that it's not legal in this country to have separate but equal schools. Back in the day, you used to have schools for black children, which were poor, underfunded, and low quality, and then schools for white children, which were higher quality, higher funded, and different parts of the community. And we fought, we won in uh, that case, and it ruled that it was, it was not right. But fast forward 70 years, and now under the public school system, and be clear, I'm a product of a public school system, um, so I'm, I have nothing against public schools, but we are now accepting that separate but equal. Um, reports come out in the New York Times a few years ago that show that New York City, the heart of the Democrat Party, all Democrats run the state and the city, is one of the, the most segregated school systems in the country because we follow the zip code type of education system where you're assigned a zip code, uh, a school based on your zip code. And we all know that our communities are segregated, that Black people tend to live in Black communities and wealthy uh, and poor in, in areas of poverty, and the opposite with wealthy and white. And so we've now accepted separate equal in the government. And so I think having that conversation, putting politics aside and talking about the issues and letting them know how Republican policies actually can help them and what they're most concerned about when it comes to education, again, school choice, I want to make very clear again, I am not any way against public schools. I'm a product of public schools. The parents should choose what school go, your child goes to and not the government. And regardless of what school you decide to go to your child, uh, the government should pay for it, um, but they should not be in the business of dictating where your child goes to school. And just a whole long list of issues like that, I think 
that's how we have to go about with outreach. And it, it goes to a branding issue. Unfortunately, partly it's our fault, partly it's not. Uh, the Republican Party has this brand, particularly in the Black community, of being racist. It's, you know, the sky is blue, grass is green, and Republicans are racist. That's something that we're taught. Um, it's reinforced uh, by the media and Hollywood and celebrities who often tend to be overwhelmingly Democrat, so there's a connection there, um, but they reinforce that image. And I say that to say that, you know, it's not just them enforcing that false image, but it's also we have some bad apples in our party we need to make sure we push back on. Um, but it's a branding issue, I think, at the end of the day. And it's also about, as you said, having that confidence. Um, a lot of my uh, Black friends, you know, I'm one of their only Black Republicans they know. I'm sure there's more out there. They just tend to be quiet about it. The fact that they know me as a Black Republican, we've talked over the years, they've come to understand my position and respect me. And they actually, you know, sometimes say, you know, I don't like Republicans, but I actually kind of like this candidate, in particular, Governor Hogan. So many of my Black Democrat friends uh, are proud Democrats, but say they'll vote for Hogan um, in any election uh, who's a Republican. And so I think breaking that brand and that outreach and having strong Black Republicans like me and you, like you're doing with this podcast, getting the message out is really one of the first and strongest steps to, to break that brand and that misconception about our party. I, I really appreciate your words. And um, I'm so glad you touched on the marketing aspect and the branding aspect of it, only because I also feel that um, something that the Republican Party has not done enough of is reaching out to a variety of different types of African-American voters. Because I think African-Americans as a whole, we're multifaceted. Um, there's so many levels to us and layers to us that what I find often is that the Republican Party, you know, we hold true to that whole stereotype of what it means to be Black in America when really you have so many African Americans who are you know, well-educated. So then you have to have a message for them. You have to have a message for people who are really struggling. And I would like to see a little bit more of that, which is why it was important for me to, to start this podcast and talk about these things. And I do want people to at least um, pique their curiosity, you know, and find out more about the party. And like you were saying, when you listen to they seem to be more in alignment with the overall philosophy of the Republican Party. And like you realize that is our philosophy. So they are, um, you know, they, it takes a little bit of convincing, but um, I often have to share that part. But I do want to see the Republican Party reach out to a variety of different platforms within the African-American community. We're just going to switch gears a little bit about the tragic events that transpired recently regarding George Floyd. And, you know, it ignited a renewed sense of social justice reform on a global scale. Um, talking about what we can do as a community and moving past um, the, the, the protesting part of it to something that is much deeper when it comes to complete criminal justice reform. So I want to remind everyone that on May 25th, uh, Minneapolis police officers arrested George Floyd, a 46-year-old Black man, after con a convenience store employee um, called a 911 operator and said uh, that uh, Mr. Floyd had bought cigarettes with a counterfeit $20 bill. 
17 minutes after the first squad car arrived at the scene, you know, Mr. Floyd was unconscious and pinned beneath three police officers showing no signs of life. And it ignited riots resembling that of the, of the 1960s in, across America. And I also want to remind everyone that, yes, we know that Mr. Floyd, God rest his soul, had a troubled past, and I know that he was trying to get his life together, um, and and this unfortunate event happened. But I want to speak to the fact that we have a lot of um, people in America who who are kind of getting the message mixed up, and that as a family man, as just a man, a human being, I'm sure he did great things. Yes, we're not perfect. He wasn't perfect. But I want to get away from trying to um, canonize him, which I don't think is what this whole, uh, the protests are about. Um, People are kind of skewing the line of, oh, he was a martyr. Um, You know, we need to canonize him. It's not that. It's more about people understanding that what happened to him was a, um, a symbolic representation of the extreme force that's used in many situations against African-Americans and the systemic racism that continues to exist in education and criminal justice systems, small businesses. You know, there were people who were rioting and they were destroying the, the city, undoing the peaceful protests that were occurring. Um, and the president, I remember, verbally supported the peaceful protesters and respected their right to assemble. Um, That being said, what do you think of the overall response of President Trump in um, regarding George Floyd and then also the subsequent protests um, and and when he called um, protesters thugs and vowed that, you know, when the when the looting starts, the shooting starts? As far as Trump's comments, again, you know, I go back to what Ronald Reagan said, because you agree with somebody or because you disagree with somebody. 20% 20% of the time doesn't make them your enemy 80% of the time. So I, I definitely do not appreciate, I do not, I have issues with some of the way he's handled his response to George Floyd. Um, I'll talk about it in a second about your comment about the martyr and all, but I just don't agree with that. I mean, I, 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 I his comment about when the looting sh- starts, the shooting starts again, maybe it's my roots at Howard University, understanding the history in our country, but that's a direct quote um, from a pretty racist and prominent um, figure in Maryland politics, I mean, in, in U.S. politics. Back in 1967, the uh, Miami police chief used those words before going out against protesters fighting for civil rights. And so I definitely think, as we, many people say, uh, the president is his own biggest enemy sometimes. I definitely support his policies, definitely voted for him in 2016. Um, I have no qualms telling people that. Um, but I do think on race issues, just in general, our party is often missing the mark. And I think this is an example of it. Um, I agree. He has made comments where he's, you know, clarified his statements. And he stated that he is only talking about the the violent um, protesters, which ironically, um, the Pew Research Center has, has identified as majority white people who are calling most of the violence. Um, but nevertheless, when you're dealing with the mainstream media and dealing with politics today, all it takes is a soundbite. All it takes is a clip. And if, you know, we have to recognize that, understand. I've had many friends who texted me when that went out 
who are Democrats, who are moderate Democrats, who, who will likely vote uh, for a Republican in a lifetime, um, but they were troubled by those comments. And I just think the situation would have been a lot better if those comments hadn't been made. I just won't, you know, make any excuse for them. But to your point, I definitely agree that his overall message is clear. The defund the police movement that's springing up, I guess, in opposition to his efforts is ludicrous. Um, we need the police in our community to protect us. And I definitely support the president's efforts to restore law and order to some of the streets, particularly in Portland and out west, where whole city blocks have become lawless. Um, we cannot have that, and we definitely need to have law and order there. But this whole George Floyd situation, as you, you talked about it, it it's, it's, it's tip of the iceberg. It's the iceberg that's above that you can see. We can see it because it was recorded. We, we can see it because honestly, I think we were all in a pandemic mode and we're all at home with nothing else to do, not going to work. And we had a lot of time on our hands. So this kind of generated more traction. He's far from the first um, American citizen to be um, unjustly uh, killed in American streets. But I think just a perfect storm of events allowed this one to spark and, and kind of get the snow, snowball effect. And to my point earlier about trying to let Black Americans understand how the Republican Party is more aligned with their issues, when you look at what caused the issues in George Floyd's case, it was, was basically a government agent, a police officer, violating the rights of a citizen. And that's something that is uniquely Republican. We fight all the time for citizens' rights against an oppressive government. You look at the city government in, in Minneapolis, from the city to the state, it's all Democrats. The police chief was hired by the Democrat mayor. Uh, the Democrat attorney general um, had oversight of the police department. And so each layer of it is Democrat government that failed us, but the narrative has been you know, taken and, and people are not recognizing that fact. So I think there's an opportunity for Republicans to actually come out on top on this issue and, and identifying ways to solve this issue uh, by adhering to Republican principles. Um, but yeah, I think this whole situation, like you said, has been unfortunately used during election year um, by both sides, but particularly Democrats, as a way to generate votes. And it's kind of a distraction and it's kind of, in my opinion, offensive that they use such incidents for their own political purposes. Um, this is not new um, and this is something that needs to be addressed. And, and to your point about a martyr, I, I definitely agree. Um, you know, I think a lot of the people who are trying to highlight that point or people who are trying to dismiss the significance of what happened in Minneapolis, um, but I agree. I mean, Martin Luther King, we all look to for certain things and um, guidance. He had an impact in this country. Um, but he was an adulterer. He made mistakes. Um, Thomas Jefferson, who wrote the Declaration of Independence, uh, former president, founding father of this country, uh, he was married and had a slave as a, a concubine. And so I think, you know, aside from Jesus Christ himself, there's not many people in, America, in, in, in the world history who don't have flaws in their past. But that does not mean that we cannot still learn from incidents evolving them. And I definitely think what happened to George Floyd, uh, regardless of what crime he allegedly committed um, in the United States, uh, you don't get executed on the city streets for forgery. Um, you don't have the sentence of death for resisting arrest. That's not how our justice system is set up. And so I think no matter how you look at it, um, it was an injustice what happened. 
And it's something that needs to be addressed. And I think it's a sensitive topic for the Black community because, you know, we've been around in this country 240 plus years. For the majority part of this country, stuff like that happened. And it was either openly allowed by the laws of this country or for a, a few decades after that, it was quietly accepted. Um, and now currently, it's um, because of social media and camcorders and body cams, we're now seeing it and it's bringing people to cause of action. Um, but I definitely find it to be just, um, like I said, tip of the iceberg and something that I've heard people, myself, my mother as well, has told me she's never seen anything like this as far as racial uh, reckoning that we're having in America. And we had a long discussion about it because I was trying to understand, are you trying to say that race relations were better back in the 50s when we couldn't eat at certain lunch counters and we had to sit in the back of the bus or, you know, back during slavery and stuff like that. But she was just saying more so about it being openly addressed. And sometimes you had to crack an egg to make an omelet. Um, you know, J uh, Frederick Douglass, one of my favorite uh, civil rights and American figures, says that those who want progress without struggle, you know, you want crops without toying the land. And so I think it's good that there is this agitation or this discomfort with this issue of race, because I think that means finally we may actually have solutions and actual addressing of it. Speaking of the riots, um, I want to touch on Black Lives Matter. And a lot of people do not realize that Black Lives Matter is actually an organization. People kind of um, can appreciate the phrase Black Lives Matter. It's important that we talk about Black Lives Matter as an organization because a lot of people completely do not even know that it's an actual organization where donations are made through Act Blue Charities, which is a registered charitable organization. The organization wants as many groups of people to be able to create a strong grassroots fundraising program. And their platform is available to Democratic candidates and committees, progressive organizations, and nonprofits that share their values for no cost besides a 3.95 processing fee on donation. The donations are made through Act Blue to a campaign or organization and considered individual donations. When we talk about this and we unpack Black Lives Matter, do you associate more with the organization or do you associate more with, um, and especially being Republican? I mean, for me personally, Republican and Black Lives Matter, what are your thoughts, especially being um, an African-American Republican? Yeah, definitely. I, I agree with you. Um, there, most people do not know that when they say Black Lives Matter, it's a uh, phrase that is owned by an organization, the board of directors and a platform and a website. Um, I definitely make the distinction. I have no problem at all saying Black Lives Matter. Do not support in any way, say, or form the organization called Black Lives Matter, which is a Marxist organization. And it's just totally opposite of just about everything that I agree with. There's some things that they fight for that I share. Um, a broken clock is right twice a day, one of my favorite uh, parables. So just the fact that they are right on a few issues doesn't mean that the organization is not broken in its philosophy. So I definitely, to your point, always make that distinction. I do not. I've done my research. I know all about that organization. Unequivocally, do not support the organization Black Lives Matter, particularly their focus on uh, getting rid of the nuclear family. And it's very interesting. Um, last time I viewed the website, don't go there often. 
but they had a whole platform talking about their vision and their purpose. And they talk a lot about mother, and they talk a lot about children. They do not mention father not once in all their platform. They talk about destroying the nuclear family. And so yeah. it just, to me, it is definitely different things. But again, the Democrats have hijacked the legitimate issue of historical injustices against many people in this country, particularly Black Americans. Um, they have hijacked it with this organization to make it something that doesn't necessarily need to be. Black Lives Matter, the, the phrase originated after Trayvon Martin's murder, um, which was a murder down in Florida. It was unjust. Uh, killing of an American citizen. Um, but since then, it's been hijacked and it means so many other things. But, you know, this is one of those, again, you know, people are playing checkers, others are playing chess. I think this is a deliberate strategy among progressives, leftists, Democrats, whatever you want to call them. Um, they know that most Americans, most Black Americans who believe in Black Lives Matter have no idea about the organization. And so they are taking opposition to Black Lives Matter, the organization, um, from Republicans to try to paint us as racist or not for the cause or not recognizing um, issues with the justice system. And that's totally not the case. And so it's all about branding and messaging, uh, communications and all that area. Just to answer your question again, absolutely not. Do not support the organization. When it comes to Act Blue, 100% right. It is a progressive leaning, Democrat leaning organization. And yeah, it's just, you know, that's their right, private company. They can do what they want. It's definitely concerning that the organization is so closely tied to Democrats, but that does not stop me at all. I, I definitely get pushback from some on the right, on the Republican side. I have to explain to them the difference. I definitely have no problem with understanding Black Lives Matter. And that doesn't, as some people say, mean that all lives doesn't matter or it's not, you know, putting one race above the other race. Um, I'm a Christian. Um, born and raised in a church, he's played friend from my church. And so I always think about the parable in the Bible about, you know, you have a flock of sheep and one goes astray, one's in danger. You go after that one. Um, and so no one is saying that the other 99 don't matter. No one is saying by saying Black Lives Matter that other races don't have equal and other injustices going on. Um, but, you know, this particular movement is about addressing one particular issue that is disproportionately affecting uh, minorities in this country. And I think it's a legitimate discussion to have. I um, also talk about people push back on why Black Lives Matter. It should be All Lives Matter. And, you know, always point to, you know, the Susan G. Komen Association organization. We all know that's for breast cancer. Their focus, their primary goal is to advocate for the eradication of breast cancer. But we all know that the number one cause of death in this country is heart disease. No one's going up to Susan G. Komen and saying, why are you talking about breast cancer? Heart disease is a bigger issue. Um, no, we can talk, we can walk to gum at the same time. Susan G. Corman has their niche, which they're focusing on. It doesn't mean that other causes or other diseases are not as important. It's just that they've decided to focus on that issue. And so this Black Lives Matter movement or the phrase is focusing on one issue. It doesn't mean that the other issues do not matter. And I talk about that when it comes to people saying about, you know, quote unquote, black on black crime and crime in the inner cities. You know, I'm a, I'm a mentor, I'm a civil rights you know, activist. I, I fight for that issue every day. But that doesn't mean I can't also talk about problems with policing in this country when it comes to African-Americans. But I want to thank you so much, Mr. Cooper, for uh, joining us today. And this is our first, like, official episode. We did a sneak peek episode last week. This is our first official episode, and I really appreciate it. How can our listeners learn more about the work you do? Yeah, so um, you can find out more about work with the Maryland Republican Party at our website, MD 
mdgop.org. That's mdgop.org. Um, more information about myself and uh, ways to contact me and what we're doing in the organization. Also, I am on the board of directors of the Maryland Black Republican Council. Um, and you can find out more about us at MarylandRepublicans.com. Uh, also on Facebook and other ways like that. But those are the two main ways to reach me and, and find out what we're doing. And just want to say congratulations on your inaugural show. It's an honor to be invited. Hope you invite me back in the future. I enjoy the conversation. Oh, thank you so much. What do you think our listeners can do now to become more civically engaged? What are your, what's your top tip? Um, just understand who your local leaders are. I know a lot of uh, Americans, like they don't like politics and if they do know politics, they know the president, uh, maybe they're congressman. But honestly, in the federalism form of government that we have in the United States, I'll emphasize states of America, state and local government is far more impactful on your daily lives than the federal government. So I know CNN and Fox News and MSNBC, they like to focus on the presidency because that's, you know, it, it, it affects everybody. Um, but your local government is way more impactful. So if you want to get involved, if you don't like how your society and your government is operating, Get involved in local level, the school board, the city council, the county council, the state uh, representative, your governor. Those offices are way more impactful than the presidency. And, and particularly in politics today, it's so divisive and, and noxiating. It may be great for you to, to focus on something other than <laughs> uh, what Trump is tweeting or what uh, Joe Biden is um, forgetting where he's at during an interview and stuff like that. So we definitely need to more involved in the local level, know who your local school board members are, know who your local representatives are. And I think that's a way to get more involved and have an impact. Excellent. I hope everyone enjoyed today's episode of Cooper and Company. If you want to contact our show, you can email us at Bree, B-R-I, Cooper and Company at Gmail. And again, a huge shout out and thank you to Cindy Lynn, our associate producer of the show. And, um, I just always find this very interesting. She's a high school student and um, Cindy actually was involved with my campaign when I ran in 2020. And I am just so grateful that, um, you know, I can be somewhat of a mentor <laughs> for her. And she's just so amazing. So um, Cindy, I know you're listening. So I'm very proud of you and the work that you do. And I'm proud of your parents for supporting such a wonderful person. And remember, don't wait for the change. Be the change you wish to see in the world. <laughs>